Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, can I help you find something? Librarians specialize in helping you find what you were looking for. And sometimes what you didn't know you were looking for. Thank you for joining me as I talk to my guests about all things library, including the books inside them. I'm Julie Chavez, and this is Ask a Librarian. Tara Schuster is the author of the forthcoming Glow in the Fucking Dark and Buy Yourself the Fucking Lilies, a finalist for Goodreads' Best Nonfiction Book of 2020, and it was also selected by Cosmopolitan, Real Simple, Goop, Publishers Weekly, and many more as one of the year's best books on mental health and self-care. Previously, Schuster served as Vice President of Talent and Development at Comedy Central, where she was the executive in charge of such critically acclaimed shows as the Emmy and Peabody Award-winning Key and Peel. A contributor to InStyle, The New Yorker, and Forbes, among others, Tara Schuster lives in Los Angeles. Here is my conversation with Tara. Tara, thanks for being here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Welcome. I'm just so happy that you're here. And I'm so excited that we get to talk about Glow in the Effing Dark. It is such a fantastic book. And oh, thank you. I'm just so thrilled that I get to talk to you about it. So, and I feel slightly smug being one of the early ones that's read it. So I like <laughs> to really hold that over people that I know. <laughs> I'm glad that you're one of the early ones and that you liked it. That's the biggest, like, you know, because as you know, when you're writing, you're isolated, like in your room, you have no feedback other than from your editor. And it's like, oh my God, do people like it? Is it any good? Like constantly. So it's nice to hear that, that you enjoyed it. Well, I did. And yes, I agree with that statement of just being in a cave of emotion all the time, right? Yeah. Where you're like, this could be a really bad idea. I'm not sure. Yeah. I want to show you my copy though, because I have all sorts of little post-its in it. Aww. I highlighted, I marked all sorts of things. And the reason I wanted to show you that though, is that I think that is just such a testament. And it shows me this book is going to help people. Mm, thank I really you. believe that. I just think there was so much that was valuable there. Oh, thank you. That's my, I mean, that's my hope. And also like, it's totally my favorite thing when I see somebody has like earmarked and tabbed my books because it's like, that's what I do to books I like. So it feels really good to see it when other people do it too. (laughs) Well, there was so much I kept running for my little post-it sticky notes because there were just so many good good things that you did. So we'll get into that because I have lists of things I was taking notes throughout. But I wanted to ask you first, when when you're getting ready, since you know, you're kind of at the front end of some of the publicity for the book, what is it that you want to talk about that lights you up? Is there a question that you hope people will ask or topics that you think that you'd like to talk about most? You know, it's interesting because anything in the book 
that is appealing. Like I'm so bored of myself. So I've, you know what I mean? Like I have sat with this book for three years. So I'm like, who cares? Like what's even in this? So now it's like fun for me actually to hear, you know, what, what is appealing to people? What would people like me to talk deep more deeply about? I guess, you know, the one thing that I, I, well, two things that I I do hope people want to talk about is like what it means to glow. Like what Mm -hmm. even is that? And the other is sort of the idea that we have so much more agency than we think we do. Because I think that could be world changing if people remembered that, you know, in this chaotic world where it feels like you can't do anything, like Mm -hmm. you have, you know, you know, like, who cares about recycling? The world's burning down anyway, like all these little things. I think what people forget is that the act of doing something keeps that muscle growing. So it's it's never yes. even about like the one immediate action you're taking in that one moment. It's about what you're building towards and that you remember that you constantly remind yourself, I have power. It hasn't all been taken away from me. So you know what I'm hoping is that this book is a call to freedom, that, that you can find freedom from your emotional traumas. I didn't think you could. I thought, especially if they happened early in your life, that's just who you were then. Yes. And now that I know how epically wrong I was, I just want to like scream it from the rooftops. Like you can find freedom. I promise. Um, Yes. Yeah. I love hearing you talk about that because I think you do such a good job in the book of sharing that sort of assumption that you were operating with, right? Like, well, this is what I've gotten. I just can only deal with this. And so the idea that there is an ability to grow past some of that. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I was basically, so I had this job at Comedy Central where I had worked for a third of my life. I had never had another job and it was mostly awesome. You know, I was working with people like Kian Peel and David Spade and it's very like Hollywood glammy, you know, best possible day job you could have. Right. And I, I kind of felt like I was sitting on this good enough plateau. Mm. Like the job wasn't perfect. I still, you know, and not that it needs to be perfect, perfect, but it wasn't quite right. You know, yes. I, I I still felt pretty baseline, everyday anxious at work, mm-hmm. no matter what. And then, you know, Lily's came out and I, that felt great, but not exactly right because it wasn't mm-hmm. my full job. It was like I was splitting my attention. My relationships felt good, but not exactly good. And so I was sitting in this, what what I call the the good enough plateau. And it wasn't really until I I got laid off from that job that I kind of, and, and was forced to confront some traumas, some early in life traumas, you know, I wouldn't have done it willingly. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted to stay on the plateau. The plateau was leagues and leagues better than what my life had been, but you know, without the job, I had no structure. I was stuck at home in the pandemic. I I loved to hustle, yet there was nothing to hustle for. And all this trauma just got kicked up and would not leave me alone. Mm. And up until that point, I thought, okay, some of this stuff happened to me so young and so early that I can fix my relationship with it. Like I can feel a little differently 
than I do about it. I can see things are not my fault. I can understand why my parents might have made some of those decisions. But really, you can heal the trauma. Like mm. you can go back to the the thing that happened because first off, it already happened. You, yes. You already survived it. Which yes. We don't remember like, oh, I already survived, you know, and I can, there's a story from the book that really reminds me of this, which is, so I'm sitting, I'm like on my good enough plateau, life is good enough, but this memory kept coming back to me of, so I was like about five years old about to take my first trip to New York and my mom has hired a limo, a limo. This story, please continue. I was reading it and I just went, oh, so please. Okay. A limo, which when you're five, I mean, that was probably like, Uh, it might as well have been the size of a bus. I'm sure. Yeah. I was, I was like, I am for sure the richest, classiest person who has ever lived (laughs) ever. You know, I'm like looking at these crystal glasses. I'm like, why, how there's a TV. I start like just rolling on the floor because who knew you could roll on the floor of a car? You know, it's wild. And yeah. And my mom had bought me this faux fur black coat for Manhattan, which I was positive was going to impress my favorite character of all time, Eloise who was going to be my best friend, duh. Well, of course, she was waiting for you at the plaza. Yeah, she was (laughs) waiting at the plaza. This coat was going to go great. Like, I I was in a limo. (laughs) Like, this is the greatest possible day of my life. Mm -hmm. And, And my mom says, you know, come sit next to me. And she takes out this little baggie. And in the baggie, she has these cards. And she starts flipping through them and reading the names. And she says, these are the names of prostitutes your father is sleeping with. And I, you know, you're five. So I didn't, I I knew from her tone that this was like something dirty and bad. Yes. And, you know, so she's like, your father's perverted and he doesn't love me and he doesn't love you. To which, so I was the daddy's girl, Mm. like 100%. And you know, to hear from your mom, your dad doesn't love you. I started, you know, I, now I'm getting like upset and I'm that I understand what she's saying. And I'm like, no, 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 you're wrong. Daddy loves me. I know. I know. That's like something I know. And she says, oh, really? Because he wanted to abort you. You're, I am the only one who wanted you. I am the one who loves you. And though I did not know what that exactly meant. Right. Other than it had to be something like I understood the feeling, like the cataclysmic feeling that she was imparting to me. And my whole life, this memory would like come up to me. You know, I would just Uh randomly like think about this moment. And as I tell you the story now, like I can see it, you know? And I thought, you know, on the good enough plateau, don't really have to deal with that because look, I succeeded. Look at yes. everything I've done. That that doesn't affect me anymore. And it wasn't until I went on this journey that is glow in the fucking dark that I realized like probably the biggest lesson is you cannot outrun your trauma. Mm-mm. Time does not heal all wounds. It just gives them wrinkles. Yes. It's, it's just not possible. And that's not a bad thing, by the way, for all of us. It's like, 
the common denominator to life. We all suffer. This, yes. it's, this is nothing new. This is nothing novel. This is nothing particularly special. The problem is when we suppress that that um, suffering and that trauma, mm-hmm. it wants to come out. So this memory keeps trying to come out and come out and come out. And the more I push it down, the more pain I actually feel. Like I'm not helping myself by right. denying something that actually is already true. It yes. already happens. And so, you know, a big takeaway from the book is, you know, and it's based on the work of Gabor Mate, who's definitely thought of as like the father of modern trauma theory, yes. which is that the trauma itself is not the problem. That incident itself was not the problem. It was what I became to believe about myself. Mm. The meaning I made of that, which was I was unwanted, that my own father wanted me dead that my mom would expose me to these things, that I was unsafe and violated, and that that's what I deserved. Because if it's your mom, you know, why else would she be doing this? And I really exited my childhood with the number one message was, you are worthless. Like, mm-hmm. that's that's what I believed. And looking back, I'm like, I can't even believe how much of my life I spent with that mindset. But, you know... I, I originally was just scared to confront memories like that because I had done a lot of work and I was doing great. Yes. Why ruin my life by going through these things that were overwhelming, not realizing that I wasn't really living my life. I was living mm-hmm. a bunch of trauma reactions all the time and they were dictating how I acted. Wow. That truly, just listening to you describe that makes me a little emotional because I just think about how vulnerable you were, obviously, as a child, but also just the the power of that story that was given to you in that moment that should have been joyful and innocent that yeah. then lasts. So it's both heartbreaking and also what a testament to the the work that you've produced, not only for Thank us you. to share in, but the work that you've done on yourself. I mean, it's yeah. it's beautiful and miraculous, and I'm so happy you were able to do it because that is just, I mean, like I said, when I was reading the story, I just went, oh no, like I, there's just not a lot to, to do with yeah. it. So I'm glad that you've come through that. When you were talking about just now that you were experiencing kind of low-level anxiety all the time. So that's something that really stood out to me is you write in the book a lot about feeling the feeling underneath the feeling or digging down layers. So, I mean, how did that kind of start for you in that time? You were feeling that anxiety. Yeah. And then how did you start to understand that you had to excavate? Yeah. Well, I, like, I think a lot of people have like four or five words to describe my entire range of a human emotions. It's Good, bad, tired, stressed. <laughs> yes. Like, that, right? Yep, that pretty much That's covers it. <laughs> pretty much covers, you know, what this miraculous experience of life, how it feels. Just those four words. I had no vocabulary. Yes. And so few of us do. You know, I remember learning what the Pythagorean theorem was in, in you know, high school. Although, like actually, what was it? Will I need this knowledge later? Like, will there be a pop quiz at the end? I hope not because I don't know. Mm -mm. But like we learned that, but not how do you calm your emotions? How do you regulate the storm that 
all of us feel. All of us have emotions that overtake us, but we have no tools to deal with them. And so, you know, for me, I, I really, that was a big part of my healing was understanding that when I felt anxious, maybe it wasn't just anxiety. And that came about through, um, uh, my friends basically forced me to go see a psychiatrist. They like harassed me. And like, <laughs> I was like, you guys don't understand. I'm fine. And they're, and they're like, you don't understand. You've been crying for like four days. Like you need to go. Right. This doesn't look like fine. No, they, yeah. I mean, and they're, and my friends are usually very soft with me because I'm very sensitive. So they, okay. it's the kind of people around me, very loving. And they were like, we don't care what you want. You need professional treatment. And it wasn't until these like super sweet people were essentially screaming at me that I was like, ah, fine. Uh, I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah, just for you. I'm doing this for you. I hope you're happy. You know? And uh, so I, I went to see a psychiatrist to see if there could be Uh, some pills to help with my anxiety because, so this is, I've been laid off of Comedy Central. It's a couple couple years into the pandemic and I'm explaining to my psychiatrist, well, I just don't understand why I'm so anxious. Like I've done so much work on my childhood. It is in large part, many swaths of it are completely healed. Yes. I'm in no immediate danger. There are frontline workers and people dying and there's an actual crisis in the atmosphere and I'm safe and healthy with resources. Why am I so anxious? Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, you know what? It might be because of my boyfriend. And at the time I was dating this guy who was like, I, I would call him the great Gatsby IRL. <laughs> he like, he had like a transatlantic kind of accent. <laughs> I'm thinking, catch me if you can. Yeah, totally. Totally. Like he was a pilot for TWA. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay. He's like, you know, he's a philanthropist, you know, which I I actually did. I know what the word means like vaguely, but I looked it up because I was like, but like literally, what does that mean? You know? Yes. Um, And he just was so like, I went to his apartment or excuse me, his house and it's like full of fine art and is casually like, uh, I'm like, oh, I really love that painting. And he's like, oh, that one, I might give it to the hammer next season. (laughs) You know, meaning the hammer, like an internationally renowned museum in Los Angeles. Yes. Like like we all do from time to time, you know, he was this larger than life character. He was a descendant of magnates. And Mm. made sure that I knew that he was very wealthy. Okay. And so that, so like his wealth was a part of his personality. Mm. And I figured he was just insecure. And that's why he's, you know, always telling me about money. But then he started telling little half truths. And they were very small at first. Like I overheard him say to somebody that he owned his house when I knew he rented it. But they got more and more extreme to the point where, you know, this is a stupid thing, but he told me that he signed up for my newsletter online, which is like, and I was like, 
uh, okay, I, I wish you hadn't, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> wish you would have asked me, but yeah, continue. But I guess cool, that's done. Great. But something in my brain was like, mm, something's wrong. So I look up my subscribers. He did not subscribe. Okay, so, that's I, so it's weird. So yes. an, another time I look at my phone and read receipts are on for him, meaning he will know the timestamp at which I read his message. Yes. Now, in the thousands of contacts I have over the decades, I have owned a cell phone. Right. Never once has read receipts been on because they are like the atomic bomb of cell phones. Like we know we have the power, but should we use it? It's it's like hundred percent. They're horrible. No. Yes. Terrible. It's a nightmare. I it's can't. A nightmare. No. I don't want. I, I don't want you to know when I read this. You know. No. So, so I'm like, huh? And I ask him, hey, yeah. funny. Uh, did might you have accidentally turned on read receipts for yourself? No, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Two months later, read receipts back on. <gasps> okay. So it was all these like yeah. little things that started to get me a little off center. And I thought, and, and then the coup de grace was at the end of the relationship. He read my first book, By Yourself the Fucking Lilies. Yes. And turned it into his own art project <laughs> where he like, like pasted other people's words over mine, put feathers in it. Like what? Yeah. And then gave it to me (laughs) as like (laughs) some kind of gift, you know? And, and here I am like so unhealthy that I'm like, well, maybe. Oh, so I go to the psychiatrist and I explain all of these things. And I'm like, so maybe that's why I'm anxious. And she looks me dead in the eye. And she says, I don't think you're anxious. I think you're furious. And it was like, boom, like bomb explodes in my brain, brain cap thrown off. Oh my God, I'm not anxious. I'm furious. I'm angry. I don't like how I've been treated. And you know, what I've come to realize is that sometimes things like anxiety and depression, which are very real, which people really do suffer from. Of course. um, you know, obviously. And sometimes it's actually a blanket that is suppressing something you either don't want to feel or don't know how to feel, you know, because in my, in my case, I didn't know how to feel angry because I had never been allowed to be angry growing up. Right. So, So, yeah, in the book, I have a lot of practices around how do you, you have to be able to name your emotions to even get in touch. So I give readers an emotion wheel that I created, which I just don't love therapy talk. Like, yes, I couldn't agree more. Yes. You know, like, and so I think of myself as like, what is my number one job? It's to take these, to study and take these big over complicated theories and try to break them down into actionable steps that hopefully don't like put you to sleep. Hopefully they're like an easy bit entertaining. And so I developed an emotion wheel, you know, in conjunction with a lot of therapists read over this book. So mostly because I was just like, I don't want to be irresponsible. Like, right. Like, tell me if this was like a wild, like overstatement, you know, something like that. And so I really like encourage people like to your question is like to just ask, how do I feel? 
how do I really feel? And that's the beginning of my journal practice every morning is how do I feel emotion wheel out and digging because it's usually not anxious. It's usually not depressed. It's usually something like angry, disappointed, afraid. And once I know what the root emotion is, I can do something about it. Yes. You know, but if it's a swath of anxiety and anxiety is just my personality, like you don't have much power over that. Yes. And that goes back to what you were saying too, about the agency that we have. Right. And I connect so deeply with that because when I was at my most anxious, so much of it now I understand was because I had stopped feeling all my feelings. I had just unplugged every connection and became a productivity machine, which was amazing. Like I was a hot mess. I mean, you wrote about that, like assisting someone at the Oh, was at it the at vac- the voting? Oh, vac- the, the at the vaccine, vaccine clinic. clinic. Like, yeah. oh, we're having very nice small talk, and also I'm I'm really dying inside. Yeah, so that's I, what's my, happening. My soul is being sucked through the center of the <laughs> yes. earth. But please show me your license. How are you? Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. <laughs> Which is so true to life, right? It's the same like good, bad, stressed. Yeah. It's just totally. Yeah. We just move through the world in this way when it's like, huh, I don't think that's actually all that's happening. So yeah, no. I appreciate that you have that. And I love how at the end of every chapter you have a little thing that could help. Because in Mm. addition to all these tools, you really have a good sense of, you know, if somebody's taking away one kind of main thing or one small piece, because when you are struggling, when you're in a dark place, it is really hard to do more than a little thing. Oh, it's, (laughs) I mean, I write a lot about depression and Mm -hmm. suicidal ideation in this book. And, you know, I pray to God people read that chapter in particular because the way we talk about suicide is so horrible and is not helpful to those who suffer. Mm -hmm. But I felt like, you know, in that chapter, I think the little thing that helped is make a plan for how you deal with depression before you are depressed. Yes. Trying to do, trying to heal, trying to, to figure out how to heal depression while you're depressed is like, drowning and trying to learn how to swim, not easily done. Yeah, you, no. you, a lot of this stuff is about preparation and practice. Yes. You know, and, yep. and 
this healing, it's not magical. You know, like it's just okay, find some tools, do the work, continue to do the work. Like I've been journaling for 12 years. The benefit of that is enormous. Yes. It would not have been if I had stopped after month one. Right. Yes. You know, kind of the cumulative, the sum becomes more than the parts because yeah, of absolutely. Habits. Absolutely. And it sounds like too, like once you've had that habit ingrained, then when you are in a place where things are challenging, then those habits can carry you and oh, yeah. you can bob along the surface kind of thing. So yeah, my floor for depression, and I'm like knocking on wood, like I don't want to tempt the evil eye. Of course. <laughs> but my floor on depression is so much higher yes. than it ever was. Uh, my my friends who forced me into psychiatry, they also at the end of this holiday season were like, guess what? I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? And they were like, it's been two years since you had a depressive episode during the holidays. And I had two thoughts. One, hell yeah, yay me. Yes. Two, wow, this is weird. How how much was I freaking out that they can notice this? Right. Like, wow. Yeah. Hold it together maybe. But, you know, and that's just a huge, that's a product of building these self-care tools into actionable, free to low cost things I do every day. Yes. I'm so happy that you share all this because I think it's so necessary. And I think you do a really good job, like you said, of distilling, you know, the language and these kind of advanced ideas about even about neuroscience and the way our bodies and brains work and drilling that down. Your writing style is so approachable. It's, I can read your stuff really quickly and not in a scanning kind of way, but I just, it really is like talking with a friend. So I just mm. enjoy it so much. But I also like what you're saying is very true where it's, you're demystifying the work because we hear that a lot now, yeah. right? Like do the work. And I know for a lot of us who have been to therapy, who yeah. who have been, you know, through these sorts of things, we understand what that looks like. But for people outside of it who might be using this as a, a forward thinking kind of yeah. tool, it's it's a gift to say, oh, that's actually what we're talking about because oh, it's yeah. too big, right? Well, first, first off, you know, mental health care should be a human right. It should be free. It should not be something for the people who can afford it and the rest of the world. Yes. G- good luck to you. It's, <laughs> it's a completely messed up uh, privilege system. And within yes. that privilege... A big thought I had is I'm like, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours. He yes. do 10,000. I was like, I have done my 10,000 hours on the couch. You I have. have, I have done it on the other side of this equation. I have sunk a small fortune into it. I have, I've also reckoned with my soul at the deepest mm. possible level. And if I could just offer some easy to understand, non like gag reflex because it's so either cheesy or woo-woo or, you know, whatever. Yes. Then I could be of service, you know, and and I could make, I mean, very selfishly, the whole thing makes meaning out of the things I went through, you know? It's, yeah. wasn't in, it was not in vain, though I wish it hadn't have happened. If, if you gave me the choice between having parents who loved me or at least did not expose me to danger. Yes. I And writing books about it, I would choose... 
Great parents. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) Uh, It's not even a question. And it all happened. I may not be to blame, but it is now my responsibility. And I take that responsibility very seriously. And I hope to be able to give a little of what I didn't get Mm -hmm. as my way of just making an offering, basically. Well, I think you're successful. I mean, you thank you. You redeem I you know, you redeem it for yourself, but I think we all get to benefit from all of that work and just what you've done. So I'm thank so you. grateful. I wanted to uh just get on one more point and that was yeah. the, the thing that I loved or another thing that I really appreciated is the idea of growing into yourself. Mm. And that that if we're all made of stardust, which I just is such a good reminder, especially on garbage rainy days where I'm like, this yeah. is this is not okay and nothing's going to be okay. Yeah. But I think seeing the idea that we're not growing out or past or yeah, you know, to a destination, but that we do have everything we need. Is that something you, how did you kind of arrive at that reframing of it? Just because we talk about growth in a certain way normally. Yeah. So I, you know, backing up a little, I, my, my job at Comedy Central was the thing that I thought redeemed my whole life Mm. because, because I felt like such a weirdo. I felt like at 25, I felt like I am so embarrassed about how I grew up. I don't want anybody to meet my parents. I don't want, I don't want to be with my parents. I don't want, I, I am a weirdo, but I was building this career where I was anything but. It was super high status, glamorous. I'm really good at, you know, presenting as if, you know, <laughs> I can be at the, you know, the, the COVID vaccination yes. clinic, 10 out of 10, like beginning suicidal ideation and smiling and just making banter with you to make you feel more comfortable with your vaccine. That's easy. Of course. Yes. That's no like, problem. On a Tuesday. Here I I go. Every time I can do that, you know? And so this, my job was the thing that I thought really gave me my self-worth. And when I lost it um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was laid off. Like so many other people were laid off. That's when I kind of, you know, I realized, oh no, the thing that redeemed me and made me normal to special is gone forever. And- I had been sold this creed of hustle, which said, if you weren't doing, you weren't existing. You know, I, I had to be the most productive, best friend to everybody I knew, spending my money to keep up with everybody else's awesome social media lives with the best ombre hair you possibly have, like flapping in the wind yes. with my suitcase that was millennial pink, drinking my artisanal coffee. Like there were <laughs> all these So many layers. <laughs> It was all these requirements of, you know, looking like a boss, even if you were like two steps away from like total implosion, which a lot of us were. Yes. And so without the job and without the hustle to distract me, the things I didn't want to deal with Mm -hmm. were going to deal with me. Like that limo, that little five-year-old girl in limo, oh, she was going to deal with me. And so at that point, I did the smartest thing I could. I I paused. JK, I was like, I need a new project. (laughs) 
So I just started Googling, like, what can I do? How can I help? Because it was 2020. Life was a nightmare. The first search results, I said, how can I help in the 2020 election? One of the first results was you can help in Arizona, you know, registering voters and things like that. So just like that, I packed up my Prius of doom and I was like, I'm moving to Arizona. Here we go. Here we go. This is going to fix it all because then I'm going to feel like I'm doing something and I'm useful and I'm productive. Oh, I, on the road to Arizona, felt the unwanted love child of a panic attack and a dissociative episode. My hands, like I could recognize that they were mine by my shoddy self-done manicure and, and my rings. <laughs> These are mine. Yeah, I'm like, (laughs) I I am the one who did this horrible job, but they didn't feel real. They felt Mm. like they were floating off the steering wheel. And if you've ever had a dissociative episode, you know, it's like all your insides want to come out. You you feel the color green. It's a horrible feeling. And I I realized, oh, this is a wildly unsafe way to drive. I'm going like tearing down at 95 and I can't feel my hands. I could see how that is suboptimal. Yeah, right? I was like, yeah, yeah, less than ideal. I need to pull over. Yes. And it was the first time in my life that I had ever considered, oh, maybe pulling over and stopping instead of forward motion hustling, maybe that is going to have the answer in it. And as it just so happened, as I was pulling over, it was getting dark. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Los Angeles, you know, good luck to you to see the stars. I mean, you maybe once every blue moon might yeah. you see a star. But in this road with no light pollution, it was like I was in a star field. I, I, I felt like the contrast was so amazing. And and as I looked up at the stars, I, I thought about, what we know about stars. We we know that stars come together when gas and dust, they are pushed and pulled by the forces of gravity and they, they go through all this pressure to become stars, to shrink down into the stars. And it's the pressure that makes a star. And they glow. They glow with, you know, above all clarity. They glow with brightness. They glow and light the way for all of us. And together they make up this, you know, a star alone, beautiful, a star in a constellation, unbelievable. And we are literally made of stardust, not some cute self-help slogan. Right. You know, you are, you know, you are made (laughs) of stardust. I'm like... (laughs) The carbon in your muscles, the calcium in your bones, the iron in your blood all came from stars. What a miracle. What I mean, it's like, if you could remember that every day, your life just is better because we think of ourselves as bad, inherently bad, inherently damaged. How are we going to fix this? I'm never going to be able to fix myself. But you never think of a star that way. Mm -mm. You're never like that star isn't good enough. That star is bad. It's only a matter of time before everyone finds out that star is a fraud. <laughs> you know, like it's so absurd, and you're so right. I it, mean, it's you just never, ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. And so what I realized was I am made of stardust. And whenever I can come back to that, that stardust is inherently good, I can remember that no matter what I think about myself, 
actually my core is inherently good. Mm -hmm. And more than that, it's friggin' stardust. Like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when we get lost, just remembering something, I don't love self-help when they say things like, you are good, you are good enough already. Because it's like, really? And why? Right. And that, and that's why I needed something that was like more concrete that I couldn't change and flip in my mind. Yes. It just is science. It just is true. No, Nobody argues that stardust is bad. Okay. So within me, it's good. Now the question becomes, how do I clean up all the muck, all the distraction, yes. all the things that, you know, I... I know there's a backlash to saying we're damaged and I would like to have a backlash to the backlash <laughs> because obviously we're damaged. What are we even talking about? Like if you walk down your yeah. street, like take a look around. How could you not be damaged to some extent by what this world is throwing at us? You know? Yes. And it's not wrong to say that it's realistic. The thing that cannot be damaged is the stardust. That's what we have to realize, that you're, there is a part of you that can never be dimmed, can never be taken away, can never be broken. That is what's real. All this other stuff, it's distraction and problems and we have to deal with it, but it isn't you. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make up who you are. And so the stardust metaphor for me, it's not even a metaphor, the stardust fact for yes. me. Yes, yes has become really grounding. Anytime I think about it, I'm like, oh yeah, well, I couldn't have screwed up that bad on this text message. And and even if I had, oh my God, it's a friggin' text message. Who cares? Yes. Yeah, it's not worth this like agita I'm feeling. Yes. I really love that. It's a reminder that we already are and have all the essentials that, yeah. that we need. And you're right. All the things that stand in our way of recognizing that. And sometimes they're so tricky too, like yeah. productivity or checking things off your to-do list totally. or trauma. Oh, I mean, they're just all these real. things. Yes. Yeah. They're totally real. And, you know, I guess it's getting back to the question that you just asked. It's like, these things, they are real. You have to deal with them, but it doesn't, it doesn't define you, mm -mm. you know, and yeah. grow, growing in the way that I talk about growth is not, we need to add and improve you. It's just, we need to dig into you. And if we could let out that version, there's nothing wrong with it. It's impossible for there to be something wrong with that version of you. So that's when I talk about growing in and digging in, that's sort of, that's what I'm talking about. I love it. I, work at an elementary school. And a lot of times I tell the fifth graders, cause we're in the second half of their last year with me. Mm -hmm. And so I really like to go emotional with them, which they particularly of course enjoy. But I think the thing that I do tell them all the time is you're at the beginning of becoming who you are, yeah. but it's this idea that you already are that person. You're just growing to become that person. Yeah. And, and then the rest of us can see it because in childhood it's you know, it's just different. And then they start to, their personalities and their traits come out a little more forcefully. And it's, yeah, it's a miracle. And it's so cool to see. I mean, the idea that I tell them all the time, you are the only you. So yeah. I just, hallelujah. 
Yes. And what a special, special thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really, it's, it's fun to see. I love to just going all the way back to the beginning when we were talking about feelings. I'm a big Mr. Rogers fan. I'm Mm. assuming that you grew up in that. I mean, you may not have watched Mr. Rogers, but he was on at that time. Totally. But his big thing was what's mentionable is manageable. Oh, that's interesting. And so he always used to talk about how if you can talk about something, then you're part of the way there. I quote, there's a thinker about attachment theory. It must have been actually contemporary that that which the child cannot communicate to the mother. It's basically saying if you can't, if a child can't communicate to their mom or their caretaker how they're feeling, they're not going to be able to communicate it to themselves. Mm. They, They just don't have the tools. If you can't identify and say how you're feeling, it's going to be very difficult. And if the mother, if the, whoever's comforting a child, you know, this person's using mother, it's way back in the day. Of course. If they're out of touch, what's the upshot? If that mother doesn't know how to feel anger, doesn't know how to feel joy, doesn't know how to feel contentment, how is the kid? Yeah. You know, so yeah. Mr. Rogers, wise, wise saint, Patron saint, wisdom. (laughs) It's so true. Well, um, before we go, I want to give a plug to your newsletter because I receive it every Friday, unlike Great Gatsby IRL, who I will be thinking about later for sure. And then he resubscribed and I unsubscribed him. Good for you. Because I was like, please don't be here. Thank you. (laughs) You're not invited. Well, hopefully other people are invited, but I get your newsletter every week and I love it. It's, mm. it's got tools. It's fun to read. It's encouraging. You share stories about other lilies and yeah. you've created such a beautiful, caring, genuine community. And oh, it's thank you. so fun to be a part of it. So I hope that thank everyone, you. where should people go to subscribe? So you can go to tarashuster.com slash newsletter, or you could text the word glow, G-L-O-W to six six. 866. That's glow to 66866. If just a quicker way. Um, but yeah, it comes out every Friday. And it is the thing I, uh, when someone tells me, like, when you tell me you like it, I'm like, thank God. <laughs> it's like my secret pride. Like this, this, uh, cause the community that we've built all together is just like such a good group of people who nobody's perfect, but everybody's trying. Yes. You know? oh, that's the perfect characterization of it. I love, it really is such a joy and it's always valuable too. I was listening to one of the podcasts you recommended this morning, actually. It was oh, really a quick one? turnaround. Well, I started listening to the one pulling the thread. Oh my God. Uh, what did you think? Amazing. Amazing. Right? I, was, I had so a glad moment. You enjoyed. Oh, it was incredible. I'm about 20, 25 minutes in, but I was listening to him talk about the bay and the earth. And I was like, this is just, I mean, it's mind blowing. It's really impressive. So I'll definitely share all that when this episode comes out. Uh, One final question for you. Mm. If you were not a writer, which I'm very Mm -hmm. glad you are, because I think you're tremendous at it. What would your, what sort of job would you have? It can be silly or serious. Yeah. I would have been an actress. Really? For sure. Yeah. And probably led a very unstable life, but. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, this is fantasy. So you could be a very stable, stable actress. Perhaps. But given my, 
my proclivity towards instability and that that job is so hard. Oh my yeah, gosh. Growing up, I always said I wanted to be a senator or an actress. Wow. So a, a, perf- a high-powered performer was always what I <laughs> wanted well, to be. I mean, hopefully if, if Lady God is good, then life will be long and maybe you can still achieve one of those later. All of these. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Tara, thanks so much for this time. Thanks for who you are and the ways you share yourself with the world. Mm -hmm. We're all very fortunate to have it. And I'm Mm -hmm. so excited for this book. I will be shouting it from the rooftops and shoving it into everyone's hands. Thank you. and, And thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Ask a Librarian. As always, it's my joy to share and learn with you. You can follow me on Instagram at Julie Writes Words, or you can go to my website, juliewritewords.com. There you'll find the show notes, including all the books mentioned in the episode. See you in the stacks next week. And until then, friends, never go anywhere without a book. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.